0: Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now revealing your secret identity to your friends list. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. KNS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to The Amazing Nerd Show. Hey this is Christian. Hey this is Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. Alright, on this week's
1: show, we'll be reviewing Season 4 of Stranger Things, and we'll be breaking down Episode 5 of Ms. Marvel.
0: Plus, we're talking the latest in AEW. Alright, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a 5-star review,
1: and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming Marvel
0: films and shows. Ant-Man, Black Panther, and Echo. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
1: All right, so up first, major spoiler warning ahead. Uh, we've got some potential huge casting news for Marvel's upcoming Echo series.
0: THR and many others brought in reports claiming that Daredevil's Charlie Cox, along with Kingpin, as played by, you know, Vincent D'Onofrio, will be a part of the Echo series on Disney+. Plus. THR claims there will be a plotline involving Matt Murdock searching out a former ally in the Echo series, which may play into another character from the Netflix shows showing up in Echo, as the Weekly Planet reported on some rumors recently that Jessica Jones star Kristen Ritter is setting up for a big return as well. This all comes after Disney Plus recently updated the logos and show titles for Jessica Jones as well on their service. Weekly Planet also claimed to have a scoop that Daredevil will be in a total of three episodes and will be donning a red and black suit for the show. So I'm wondering when it comes to Daredevil's
1: suit, if this is going to be akin to a Shadowland costume that he wore recently um, during uh, that whole miniseries, or if this is going to be more like his 90s armored look. Uh, either one is pretty cool i could see them kind of playing with his look until he gets like his own official series and that's when he dons the classic red costume again yeah. um but yeah no i'm all for a change now as for jessica jones daredevil and kingpin being possibly part of the echo series i mean we've been hearing these rumors for months now uh, but this seems like the biggest confirmation yet that we've gotten that, you know, it's probably happening. I'm all for it, I guess, uh, you know, and, and if you go with her original origin story from the comics, it only makes sense. Kingpin and Daredevil do play a big role, mm-hmm. you know, with that character. So uh, my only concern is, is that they're going to end up overshadowing her in her own series. Yeah. Um, you said three episodes.
0: Yes, which they've been doing a lot of six-episode series lately, so I'm... Yeah,
1: so I hope it doesn't really become like the low-key Daredevil show, Um, (laughs) because Echo deserves better. But I'm going to hold out hope that that's not the case, and, you know, they do it in a way where it's, you know, just enhancing Echo's story and just driving eyes to, you know, this potentially awesome character in the
0: MCU. I definitely think that's the goal, right? When you bring in all these other really well-established characters. I'm interested to see if Jessica Jones actually shows up in this series or if it's going to be like, you know, I'm looking for her. And then at the end of the series, it's a cameo or something. I'm guessing we're going to find out sooner than later
1: with everything that's been going on Mm -hmm. with those Marvel Netflix shows over at Disney Plus right now. Like they've been releasing like new poster artwork recently um and you mentioned it in the story everything that they're doing with her title cards making it aka you know whatever you know the episode title is right i feel like we're gonna get some kind of announcement about those netflix series during san diego comic con you know it's just a case where there's smoke there's fire So I don't know what that's going to be. I don't know if it's just going to be confirmation that they are going to be part of the Echo series or that, you know, Jessica Jones is going to be brought back into the fold uh, of the MCU proper, you know, or, you know, maybe we also get Luke Cage and dare I say it, Iron Fist? (laughs) Maybe. Are are you ready to get fisted, Christian? I'm not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not either. (laughs) (laughs) But I could see Echo possibly being, you know, maybe their kickoff point towards a future, you know, run of Defenders if they wanted to go that way. She's an amazing character. So, Mm -hmm. like I said, my only fear
1: is that they're going to overshadow her in her own series. Hopefully that's not the case. And hopefully she's able to get her just due in the MCU. Um, You know, but like they underutilize her in the comic books still. Mm -hmm. So I think at this point, I think she might have the Phoenix Force at this point so they are at least they're trying to do something with her even though that sounds insane um <laughs> but it it took years for them to do something with her cuz she kind of got lost in like the background for a long time which is a crying shame because when she was first introduced in the comics i mean i was right away thinking she was going to be a big deal and then i don't know they just kind of forgot about her i'm sure they're writing something now especially with a series coming out oh i'm sure i mean Like I said, I think she has the Phoenix Force right now, so Uh (laughs) that's a pretty fucking big deal. So up next, we have another potential spoiler warning for Black Panther Wakanda Forever
0: uh, with our first look at the villains, possibly. In some promo art released by the MCU facility on Twitter, we got a glimpse of a very Aztec-styled Namor. Uh, MCU facility didn't stop there, though. They also showed off what might be the main villain of the upcoming Black Panther film as we got a look at Atuma in that same you know Mesoamerican style as we saw Namor.
1: So we did share this article on our Facebook page with these images attached. So if you want to look at it yourself, you can do so at Amazing Nerd Show on Facebook.
0: Um, Or if you don't use Facebook, you can, of course, go to AmazingNerdShow.com and find the links there as well.
1: So I was a fan of both looks, even though it looks like Namor brought back the Speedos. Um... But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, it makes sense that he's an underwater character, so he wants to be comfortable, right?
0: <laughs> I'm getting that, more Okada shorts vibes. <laughs> that's what you're you're rocking this summer on the beach, right? Oh, Christian? absolutely. Speedos every day. That's why I got to keep it high and tight. That's right. You know? You've
1: been manscaping, so it makes exactly. perfect sense. <laughs> Cheap plug. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought it looked pretty damn cool. Uh, I don't know shit about Atuma. I'll be honest. like, yeah. I'm not a huge Namor guy. So I do love the blood feud that he has with Black Panther in the comics. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the film, especially with another character probably taking over the Black Panther mantle.
0: But with the possibility of having multiple villains, they'll probably have Namor, you know, probably join forces with them by the end of the film, right? If there's another big band. He's always been a
1: tweener, so most likely. (laughs) Um, I'm sure it'll be a case of Atuma and Namor coming to odds over some decision that Namor makes, uh, you know, with Atuma feeling that Namor is not worthy to be sitting on the throne. Uh, especially since, you know, in their eyes they see him as a half-breed since he is half-human and half Atlantean. Well, up next we have some news for one WandaVision spinoff, Agatha House of Harkness.
0: Details seem to be spilling in from production weekly that the WandaVision spin-off Agatha House of Harkness will be in production starting January of 2023 and probably will go all the way into May. The series was originally rumored to be, you know, making a October release next year, but with production going so late into the year, I highly doubt that that's going to happen. Most likely probably coming out somewhere near or in the middle of 2024.
1: You know, recently I just watched uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness again, Christian. And it got Uh me wondering if the next time we see Wanda again is, like, in this series. Like, I could see her, like, possibly, like, showing up back in the neighborhood with, like, amnesia, not knowing, like, who she is.
0: Hmm. Because,
1: I mean, right, like, we both agree she's not dead.
0: No. Um, She's There's no way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just envisioning, like, a season finale where the doorbell rings and Agatha gets it and it's Wanda standing there
0: kind of looking lost you know i could totally picture that as well but i mean as far as the death thing goes i feel like sam raimi would have taken the opportunity to show a rock literally hitting her in the head <laughs> if he wanted to show <laughs> that she's dead you're right i mean it is sam raimi so <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> that is kind of his mo although you do have to wonder like since wanda's potentially out of commission does that mean the spell that she cast in on agatha has been weakened
0: not sure i mean i i'm assuming the series is going to be at trying her damnedest to get out of the spell mm-hmm. i don't know because we don't know what the timeline is going to be you know for her this is going to be like right well, after. does she even
1: realize she's underneath the spell
0: um right i
1: don't think she does so I, there's gotta be a part of her we'll, right we'll, <laughs> we'll find out because i was like how is this uh-huh. series even working you know <laughs> we know so little about where she's at as a character at this point so i mean it could end up being uh, like an origin story for her too since we know mm-hmm. she's existed for you know decades because has this been confirmed to be taking place after wandavision could this be a prequel
0: i, I mean i haven't seen anything to say otherwise yeah, so i mean uh, who knows right <laughs> obviously not <us>. uh uh-huh. <laughs> But if that wasn't enough Marvel for you, the potential spoilers didn't stop at all this week as we got a rumor of a potential new team coming to Marvel. Again, spoiler warning for Ant-Man Quantumania, but an industry source that goes by K.C. Walsh tweeted out about the film claiming it primarily takes place in the Quantum Realm. Bill Murray is playing the role of Krylar, a character who only actually appeared once in Marvel Comics in issue 156 of The Incredible Hulk in a story where Hulk kinda travels to the microverse, Uh, Krylar is said to have, you know, some kind of conflict with Kang in this film. Casey also claimed that MODOK will be a part of this story, and also Casey Lang will be in the film, who will officially become a hero. Casey Walsh also claims that there will be a new team up in this film, but made sure to state it would not be, you know, Fantastic Four or Young Avengers, which has honestly led to a lot of speculation, because Ant-Man has teamed up with quite a few heroes in his day. Teams like, you know, Heroes for Hire, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Defense have all had you know Ant-Man join them at one point or another. But honestly, it would be interesting if there were some type of Defenders tie-in with all the other rumors lately pointing at there being a big return for the Netflix characters, as we spoke about earlier with Echo. But for now, all we really know is that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania will be coming out February 17th, 2023. Also, it looks like Captain America 4 has picked up its director. Hollywood Reporter claims Julius uh, Anoa, which I hope I'm saying correctly, of um, Cloverfield Paradox fame will be taking on this upcoming MCU film. He joins writers um, Malcolm Spellman and Dulan Musan, who worked on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. All right, Christian, without further ado, let's jump right into it. It's time to break down episode five of Miss Marvel. Warning spoiler alert major spoilers for the Miss Marvel series ahead. You have been warned. What happened to you? Bangor work brought you back to me. I'm not Sana. If we don't have much time, get Sana on the train and protect that bangle. You have everything that you need. This week's episode kicks off with a bit of a history lesson on what was going on during the partition, all before we're sent back in time to 1942, where we catch Aisha running for her life and killing a soldier that was on her tail. This scene seems to follow directly after what we saw last of Aisha when she was getting the bangle in episode three. We stay with Aisha here as she comes across a town and witnesses a man speaking about gaining independence from British rule. As we find out later, this is Hassan, who would become Kamala's great-grandfather, as we watch the story of Asha and Hassan meeting after he discovers her sleeping in his garden. With no place to go and a need for food, Aisha accepts his invitation to eat in his home. And from there, we see their relationship blossom as the episode cuts to a later time where Aisha is now pregnant. So while I enjoyed
1: getting this background story when it came to Kamala's family especially the historical you know significance of the partition uh when it comes to you know their culture it unfortunately made this episode feel a little disjointed um and this is a self-inflicted wound which I don't truly understand because I mean, obviously they have control over the length of the episodes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, this episode was literally like, what, like 30 some minutes long. So, I mean, the majority of the episode takes place in the past, um, which is fine But because of that it makes them rush through the current day storyline uh, and wrap up things in rather unsatisfying fashion, which we'll get into
0: a little later on. After the birth of Kamala's grandmother, Sana, it seems the partition is in full effect, leaving India in pure chaos as riots begin to spread. As both of them are Muslim, Hassan and Aisha are practically treated as outcasts, and the growing tensions are getting to Hassan. And if that wasn't enough, Aisha gets visited by an old friend in Najma. Aisha, who had attempted to keep the bangle from Najma all these years, has now been found by the clandestine, but Aisha pretends to still kind of be a part of their plan to open the veil. So Najma gives Aisha 24 hours to prepare for their grand mission to get home. But you can tell that Najma doesn't believe that Aisha's going to actually help them. Which made me wonder out loud, like why would she even bother giving her 24 hours? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just, okay, let's go get the bangle right now. She,
1: like, <laughs> She definitely seems like she doesn't trust her, but she's like, okay, well, I'm gonna play along and give you 24 hours. Yo, you know, giving you an opportunity to run. So, I mean, so much so that she ends up, like, showing up at the train station waiting for her. Mm I don't know. I mean, this kind of goes along with what we were saying last episode, where it just feels like the show has a serious villain issue. And it hasn't been a problem because that hasn't been the sole focus of the show but with this episode they definitely kind of changed that
0: so it really became more glaring here aisha then uses the riots as an excuse to push for hassan to let go of his rose garden and move away with everyone else that's fleeing the area hassan is less than you know eager to leave his family home but aisha reminds him of what he used to say to her back when they first met what you seek is seeking you which are the words written on kamala's bangle while aisha hurries them to the trains hassan questions her real motives for running, sensing that there's more going on here. Aisha decides to tell him the truth, showing him a glimmer from the bangle. Though she doesn't necessarily tell him I'm a jinn, but I guess it's kind of implied, perhaps? But the way Sana spoke about it made it seem like her father was well educated on what Aisha was to begin with. Yeah, I don't know if it's something that he suspected all
1: along and it just didn't bother him, but it did feel like he kind of just kind of brushed it off, right?
0: Yeah, it it made that whole moment a little bit more weird with grandma being like, "Oh yeah, everyone knows Brigid." It's it just seemed like okay, this is something that they've clearly talked about, they've, you know, you know, thought through, they've had discussions. Well, and maybe that was all after the fact, like
1: after this moment. Mm-hmm. So I could I can wrap my head around that, I guess, um especially knowing, you know, what takes place at the train station. But it is kind of a weird choice for Aisha not to share that with her husband, Mm -hmm. right? Because it feels like they have like a deep relationship. So why wouldn't she share the fact that she's on the run from this group of like extra dimensional, you know, villains?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Like I could believe that she brought this up during that whole like during even the pregnancy. I could see that happening before we got that transition.
1: Also, did they establish why she doesn't want to go with the clad clandestines? Is it because she knows that it could possibly destroy Earth's dimension if they open up the gateway
0: or whatever? I mean, they never necessarily say that you know Aisha believes this. You know we never get that from them. Like we what we got with the uh, red dagger um, leader, you know might have been a way to allude to her knowing about it but they've never we've never seen Aisha herself be like hey yeah this is going to destroy the world if i do this you know we never got any kind of inkling that she actually knows that yeah and even though we spend like half the episode with Aisha and everything in the past we don't really get to know her very well No. So all this story even feels rushed. After making Hassan promise to get Sana onto the train and actually giving Sana the bangle, Aisha leads them to the crowded scene that we saw at the end of last week's episode as the chaos of the partition rages on. Aisha seems to sense Najma's presence here and has them split up giving the young Sana to Hassan. Ultimately Aisha is confronted by a pissed off Najma who stabs Aisha in the guts, but in her final moments, Aisha hears the call of her daughter, Sana, after she had walked off from Hassan, who was trying to find them you know, space on the train. Aisha, who's near death, is somehow able to channel her powers through the bangle after stating what you seek is seeking you. And this seems to bring Kamala into the past.
1: I did enjoy this aspect that, you know, it was actually Kamala, you know, coming to the past to save, you know, her family. I did think that was cool that, you know, what we witnessed at the end of last episode wasn't just division, like she's actually time traveling here.
0: Kamala finds Aisha laying against a train and Aisha tells her to save Sana while giving her a photo of the entire family together, her, Hassan, and Sana. Kamala desperately looks for and finds her grandmother in the crowd and starts carrying her back to her father. Kamala realizes she will need to use her powers to get Sana through the crowd and actually create some platforms to go through them. Though no one seems to notice or care about any of this. One of the last few platforms breaks out and actually creates kind of a star-like design in front of Sana which still guides her towards her father. Both Sana and Hassan see this and believe it's from Aisha. So one of the things I bumped up against with this scene was yo know, we know that all the clandestine can feel when the Noor like, energy is being used. So if she's that close, why didn't she come after them or do anything in that scene? Najma could have totally just turned around and be like, oh, the Bengal's in use right behind me. You know, I, I was just like, this is kind of weird. On top of that, why didn't, like, Kamala create the platforms over top of everyone? And why did nobody notice? It was just it, it all felt no, weird to she's me. Still, she's still a rookie now. Come on, give her a break.
1: <laughs> she's been, her thrown, it on her she own. been thrown back in the past. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But you're right about Najma. Because she's still there, right? I mean, she can't be very far. Uh-huh. And then, like, where's the rest of the group? You know? So, like, she just came to the train station alone. So you would think that they would be searching for, you know, her husband and her daughter at that point, knowing that they could possibly know where the bangle's at.
0: After being sent back to the present by her bangle, Kamala, along with the red dagger and the clandestine, all kind of awaken to find a white energy source glowing, resembling a crack in midair. Somehow the veil has been, you know, slightly opened, but when the clandestine attempt to go through it to get back to the Noor dimension, it seems to cocoon them and actually render their flesh from all their bones. This was pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed this. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Now, what I was confused by was exactly why this was happening. Is it because they didn't have the other bangle? Because they do talk about, I believe, when they find the first bangle... That they need the other one, uh, you know, when they find the, you know, the first bangle in the uh, Ten Rings uh, temple.
0: I mean, this moment isn't really explained how that opened at all, but I'm assuming that, yeah, the reason why, you know, they're getting killed by is because they didn't properly open the veil with two bangles. Uh, But, you know, that's just me you know yeah. assuming that that's what you're doing happening. a lot no of really... a lot of
1: leg work for the writers Yeah, so, <laughs> because that's what i was kind of thinking. i was like is this because they don't have that other bangle but like they've even mentioned the other bangle i mm-hmm. feel like since the episode that they're introduced in so
0: you know i was like is that other bangle still in play you know i yeah i didn't know if it was going to be a situation where i was like oh kamala went to the past and just happened to run into the same bangle as her own and maybe that's like some weird time paradox double bangle situation here <laughs> and that's how it opened but again that's just me doing a lot of mental gymnastics nothing like a, a double bangle time paradox situation
1: exactly classic uh, yeah like that's the first thing that popped <laughs> in my head
0: is this because of the other bangle but i don't I don't know. I mean, they don't explain it at all here. Light from the Veil then starts to reach out towards all the civilians in the nearby area, and Kamala uses you know the power of the Bengal to actually protect them. But all the while, Najma seems completely lost in the idea of going home and continues to move forward towards the Veil. Here, Kamala attempts to get Najma on her side, claiming you know they need to shut it. As Kamala tries to reason with Najma, she reminds Najma of her son that she had actually left behind. This seems to speak to her and she ultimately sacrifices herself to close the veil. But before being completely consumed by it, Najma says Cameron's name, somehow transferring or unlocking power within him. Huh? (laughs) What? (laughs) Is that what happened there? Yeah. Okay. I
1: I, I don't understand any of this. (laughs) So, she sacrificed herself to close. I got that. But then, like, Uh she knew if she said his name she was gonna filter the power to him
0: like funnel the power to him somehow i guess there's some way to channel your power to someone else i don't know because it looks just like the veil's light so as was well. it
1: her power or was it the veil's power
0: i don't know i think it was the veil's it, power. i think they right? have to be right
1: because it wasn't her power like that's not a power signature she showed mm-hmm. off at any point so i'm guessing it's the veil's power that he somehow like imbued with um okay i don't know how any of this works <laughs> it feels like the writers don't either no
0: it it's just all coming at us so quickly in this episode yes. in particular it just doesn't yes i don't know what they were thinking And we were praising
1: this series mm-hmm. last week for you know how well they've been handling the pace aid, where this week it's the exact opposite this just feels all so very rushed
0: oh and there goes your main villain so far for the show <laughs>
1: So that I didn't really have a problem with because I felt like the main conflict of the show wasn't between Kamala and Najma. You know, I felt like the main conflict was really going to be between Kamala and
0: her mother. Uh, But then we have what happens next. With the veil closed, Kamala... You know, gets a sense of victory here and almost gets a second to breathe, but with the handy dandy find my phone service, Kamala's grandmother and mother find her just as the veil closes and are stunned to find out that Nightlight had been Kamala all this time. So
1: I think the word "stunned" might be overstating it, Christian, mm-hmm. because I mean, <laughs> she's she's just like, oh, okay, like after all of the you know secrecy, all of the hiding Kamala does, and it really feels like the whole crux of this show was built on, you know, this conflict between mother and daughter, Kamala finding these powers and, you know, is she going to tell her mother? How is her mother going to handle it? Like that really felt like the main conflict of this show. But then she finds out and her mother just kind of shrugs it off. And she's not even that really like surprised by it. I mean, this is a woman who didn't want Kamala to go to Avengers Con right because she was too worried about it being a bad influence on her yes but then she just found out that her daughter's a superhero with fucking powers (laughs) so she goes from like being super overprotective to just being okay with this you know like oh okay it is what it is and then to top things off if you factor in that there was a wedge driven between Kamala's mother and her grandmother because her grandmother was constantly bringing up all this like mysticism and making all these like supernatural claims about like their family history. Mm -hmm. And like all that is confirmed right here. And she's just like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You would think that she would be filled with regret for not believing her mother all these years, right? Like she ran away from home to get away from her mother and all her wild theories, right? <laughs> and then they all end up being true.
0: Mm-hmm. It's all washed away with like a one-liner in a later scene. And that's yes. just what's even worse about it.
1: It's just, I, I don't understand. Like I talk about a missed opportunity, uh-huh. you know? And it, it, it felt like the show was taking us to this moment. It felt like it was all built on this moment and then they totally brush it off in, like, almost sitcom fashion. Early on the season, we talked about how, you know, aspects of the show felt very, like, Disney Channel almost. This reaction is very Disney Channel to me. Like, it just feels, like, almost like a bad sitcom reaction, where it's like, oh, silly me, you have superpowers, and my mom was right all along. Cue laugh <laughs> oh, track. Exactly. Uh-huh. Shucks, right? We- like, like <laughs> that's it, <laughs> Like, they had this great, like, family drama going on, and and then they got bored, and it's just, like, an afterthought.
0: Yeah, there's just, there's so many complex emotions that could have been portrayed here, it's insane. You know, there's, as you said, there's just so much that, you know, Maniba should be going through, seeing someone that she's trying to protect at all costs. Yeah, and she finds out that she's a fucking superhero. You know, this is a woman
1: who was terrified of her daughter cosplaying at a convention, Just a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. And now she's just suddenly okay with her daughter actually being a superhero. Huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it would have been even more in character for her to be like, You almost killed that kid when you were trying to save him off the tower. Like that feels more aligned with what we've seen than this. Yeah, I don't know. It's just mind boggling.
1: I I don't know what happened. I don't know if we were just misinterpreting this entire series (laughs) so far, but it just felt like they were building up to this moment and I don't know, it it was kind of treated like an afterthought.
0: Before leaving, Kamala checks in with Kareem. I mean, after all, his mentor sacrificed his life to save both of them. Kareem stays strong, though, through this and lets her know if she ever needs help, she can reach out to him, even though he may have a hard time getting into the States, being a wanted fugitive. And before exiting, Kareem gives her a symbol of the red daggers in that of a red scarf. Meanwhile, down below, Manipa finds Kamala's necklace that had actually been damaged during the fight. And now it kind of looks more in the shape of a lightning yeah I was
1: wondering how they were going to like tie in uh the Miss Marvel symbol since you know in the MCU Captain Marvel isn't Miss Marvel at Mm -hmm. any point so she doesn't have that logo on her costume which is where Kamala originally got it from so I mean I guess this way
0: works it's a little contrived but whatever Back at grandma's house, Kamala gets to learn a little bit more about her mother's rebellious past chasing after Bon Jovi. Maniba you know, explains that her strictness has been kind of in fear of losing Kamala, saying that she's been clinging on tight because she's scared of letting Kamala go. While Sana at the same time kind of speaks on not having held onto her daughter enough as the three of them kind of just hug out the moment.
1: While this was a nice moment, did it ring true to you at all? No. <laughs> I was very lost by by the time I got to the scene. I'm not going to keep on harping on this, but like, why would Kamala's mom feel any better about possibly losing Kamala now? No. You know, and maybe this is something they're going to build upon in like season two, um, you know, with her knowing that Kamala's out there fighting crime every day. But you would think she'd be a lot more hesitant to be so accepting. Of the situation at this point,
0: no, it's like one of the weakest reveals in Marvel so far. I mean, even Aunt May threw out a what the fuck, you know. It's uh huh, right across the globe. We see Comrade get imbued with light after his mother seemed to unlock something within him. Comrade, who is on the run from damage control, seeks out help, you know, from an unlikely friend in Bruno. Now, wait a second, Christian,
1: how the hell did Comrade get out of jail? The, didn't they leave him behind? They did, but they
0: did leave him at an open door, if, if that helps. I
1: mean, is damage control that bad at their job that he was able to escape also? And then if he was able to escape, why didn't he just follow his his uh, mother?
0: I don't know. He just stood but. there, watched her leave, and then decided to leave. I don't... What the... Okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. Sure. <laughs> Comron, while failing to really connect with Bruno, still gets his help nonetheless. Comron is you know, convinced his mother will come back for him, even though Bruno is not too sure after hearing about his situation. Though, while they're talking this out, a drone shows up at Bruno's place, and Comron, with his new abilities, fires out light at the drone, but the drone still fires off a couple missiles right into the circle Q below as our episode comes to a close. Damage control was going to murder this child,
1: where he stood, (laughs) (laughs) with a fucking missile. Mm -hmm. They were going to kill him in the streets. And most likely... What the fuck is going on with damage control?
0: (laughs) Most likely kill like a whole bunch more people too. It's an apartment building. Yes,
1: especially since the drone was just firing off missiles wherever he was at. Not, you know, obviously worried about damage that it was going to cause. I mean, when do we get to the point in the MCU where the government, because uh, damage control works for the government, is murdering superpowered beings in the street? Like, when did that become a thing? And I, I know, know he's like an escaped convict, I guess. But, I mean, they're just, they sent a drone to fire a missile at him. <laughs> a fucking missile. And he's a miner,
0: too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> so I'm guessing, like, damage control is working on its own right now. Like, it's some kind of, like, shadow government group. And maybe they'll explain all that next episode. Because it, it doesn't make any sense. This You think this would be a bigger deal in the Marvel Universe if, like, the government is literally hunting down superhumans now. Um well- <laughs>
0: If I mean if this if the next episode is as paced as this one then we won't learn shit about damage control David. I, I, <laughs> you're not wrong. I mean not
1: just superhumans once again superhuman miners yes right
0: (laughs) i feel bad for the future of x-men in this universe oh my god i mean yeah they probably have a fucking basement full of Sentinels waiting to Uh unleash
1: you know on the general public
0: oh and also they're pissing all over tony stark's grave using his drones for this like yeah like where the fuck is
1: happy in all this and pepper i don't know you know, I mean, that's why I'm guessing this is, like, some kind of, like, you know, shadow operation. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily on the up and up. Although, I mean, they were questioning Peter, right, in No Way Home, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but they were
0: like th- hurling missiles at him. That's what
1: I'm saying. I mean, they, they obviously <laughs> have some kind of clearance, but I can't imagine, like, part of that clearance is a license to fucking kill <laughs> minors. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> What's going on? So, I mean, yeah, next episode has a lot to unpack. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, everything that happened with Kamala and Kamran's mother is going to, you know, cause, you know, Kamran and Kamala to be at odds. But I'm guessing when all things are said and done, Kamran will, you know, see the light. Um, And maybe, like, him and Kamala will team up to take down, you know, damage control. But for a show that likes to take its time telling its story, at least before this episode... Um, that's a whole lot of loose ends to have to tie up in one episode. Yeah. So we'll see if they're able to stick the landing here. Because like I said, I mean, damage c- control alone is a huge issue to be dealing with in one episode. Unless she, you know, gets her hand on that Murdoch's number, because apparently he could just make them go away. I mean, sure, I'd love a
0: great connection with Daredevil to be added to this show. But I just don't think we're going to get anything like that going forward. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so either, Christian i don't know man i just feel like the rug was just pulled out from underneath me when i watched this episode i i don't know i i was walking in very hopeful for this series and now i just don't know if i'm interested in the last episode i I, to be honest with you well i'm interested to see where it
1: goes because it's marvel so i'm always going to be invested regardless Uh, of course but you know i just i just don't have a lot of faith that they're gonna be able to pull off a satisfying ending at all um It's just disappointing because they have a lot riding on this, you know, series, because it really is serving as a leading into the Marvel's film. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be all doom and gloom because, I mean, it is one storyline. And I mean, the majority of the series I've enjoyed quite a bit. Um, It would just be less than ideal to walk away from the season
0: with a bad taste in your mouth no exactly i mean don't get me wrong this isn't something that's like iron fist bad the show has been no. very decent up to this point i just i don't know i i don't know what what they're gonna do in this final episode you know to really turn things around and in the long run if this you know first season is just kind of a catalyst to really introduce
1: miss marvel into the mcu fine you know and I, I do feel like she has a lot of potential as a character um it just feels like they could have given her a much more engrossing storyline to get, you know, an audience really invested in her. Yes. By anyway, the join us next week and find out if any of that comes into fruition as we break down the finale of Miss Marvel. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey, you. Got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nut sack on the cul-de-sac. So save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NerdShow for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com.
0: Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game.
1: Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a Bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin, thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology.
0: No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver
1: Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag and the patterned high performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence
0: and grooming gain. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your Bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free
1: shipping at manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped.
0: Well, all right, up next we have a review for Stranger Things Season 4. Warning spoiler alert Major spoilers for Stranger Things Season 4 ahead. You have been warned. I know you're framed.
1: You're terribly frightened by what you've seen. But I'm not gonna lie to you. Your friends are not prepared for this fight.
0: Hawkins will fall. My friends need me.
1: So what an amazing season. Uh, During my bout with COVID last week, I was able to catch up with season four right before volume two dropped on Netflix. And my God, the Duffer brothers outdid themselves this time. Uh, This by far is my favorite season since the first and probably my favorite TV series of the year so far. And that's saying a lot because it's been a pretty solid year. Uh, The Duffers just dialed up the horn, delivered a beautiful love letter to the genre. I mean, really giving us the best nightmare in Elm Street we've gotten since Craven's new nightmare. Uh, the soon-to-be-iconic like to be iconic Vecna is truly a worthy villain for Eleven and gang to go up against. And I just love that they're giving a face to the evil of the Upside Down, finally. It just helped make the stakes and the threat feel more real, knowing, finally, what kind of depraved monster has been lurking in the shadows all along. Also, I think they added a lot of weight to things, having Vecna's story tied directly into Levin's in a way that I just wasn't expecting. So he's not just another villain of the week. But once again, I think I've said this before, I feel like the Duffer brothers real strength is their ability to juggle multiple storylines with this talented ensemble cast in a way that feels organic and not forced. I mean, it's no small task and that's on full display here. Season four has so many moving parts, but I felt like they were able to serve each character in a satisfying fashion, even if their story won't be fully paid off until next season. I mean, they totally did that formulaic trope that I bitch about all the time, you know, with these TV shows, where they separate the group for an entire season only to have them like reunite at the end. Uh, But they did it so fucking well that it didn't bother me at all. No one got lost in the shuffle and all the storylines kept their momentum, and they did this while at the same time introducing some new fantastic faces into the mix. I'm sure, like, I speak for a legion of old metalheads and saying Eddie is my spirit animal. I mean, it also definitely helps that this season was anchored by some of the series' best performances. Sadie Sink is an absolute star, along with Caleb, who plays Lucas, and Noah, plays Will. I mean, they just stole every scene that they were in this season. Uh, And it's just been fun watching this young cast grow as performers. Uh, But back to the Duffer Brothers, I would be totally remiss not to mention also their masterful use of score and song selection on the soundtrack. They've really been able to give us some incredibly memorable moments driven by their use of music. I mean, knowing how to find the right music to elevate a scene to the next level is just an underrated storytelling skill. I mean, look what Tarantino's been able to do with music throughout his career. I feel like the Duffer Brothers have that ability also. Uh, but anyway, overall, this season did a fantastic job of just setting up the finale of the series, which honestly, I'm having mixed emotions about now because I don't want to see the show end anytime soon. Uh, but with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead. I'm gonna give season four of Stranger Things a solid A.
0: I mean, Damon said it already, but I was most impressed by the way this show was able to handle its separate stories. In anyone else's hands, I feel like I would have just hated this season of Stranger Things because getting the pacing down for this many branching storylines and characters can just go wrong so quickly, and we've seen that happen in other shows but the Duffer brothers absolutely killed it this season. I do believe Mike and you know the buyer's storyline was the weakest, even in the end, especially with them just watching 11 save the day, which maybe I would have had like government agents going after them or something to add a little bit more of a fight or tension to their sequence since everyone else was going through a battle. But even in their storyline, they had plenty of entertaining and emotional moments that were worth cutting away from some of the more actiony scenes. There just really wasn't any you know wasted momentum in this show and it's storytelling like this that makes stranger things a standout series i feel like the only gripe i really had with the show which i've mentioned in my volume one reactions just was the you know cgi kills that we got you know as someone who plays a lot of video games this looked more like a death i would have seen in the game the quarry than it would in actual real life there probably were like ways to kind of Subtly hide the CGI a little bit better and are better cuts that might have even come off more horrific, which they kind of demonstrated when they showed Vecna's attack on Max. Its slower pace to create drama allowed them to cut away and zoom in in ways that focused on maybe one spot and use a little less CGI. But while this isn't a deal breaker for the show in any way, it wouldn't be a review for me if I didn't mention at least that that bothered me. Because beyond that, this was a stellar effort by all those involved. This season is chock full of epic moments that will forever be cemented in its legacy and I am only more excited for the final season of Stranger Things but that weight is going to be a fucking killer. Anyway my grade for season four is going to be an A-. This week's episode is also sponsored by Athletic Greens our next partner has a product i use literally every day i started taking athletic greens because i realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional i hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great and luckily with ag1 i've found a tropical flavored blend that i drink every single morning well christian that's because with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source super
1: foods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging, you know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian, and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer.
0: Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better. And that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality along with mental clarity and
1: alertness.
0: And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And
1: we're not alone in loving athletics greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star
0: reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit Athletic athleticgreens.com slash emerging once again that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate
1: daily nutritional insurance
0: and now it's time for christian's corner This past week in gaming, we got a couple trailers that I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, For one, we got an update on God of War Ragnarok after last week's reports about, you know, fans' fears of a delay. With a new CG trailer, we got the official release date of God of War Ragnarok, which will actually launch this year, November 9th. So settle down, everybody. It is coming this year, as promised. Another big trailer I think you guys should check out was for Robocop Rogue City. Uh, my impression so far is that the developers, Taeon, who worked on Terminator Resistance, really captured, you know, that 80s feel, at least with this gameplay trailer. I mean, it looks just like the Robocop films, and reminded me a lot of, you know, that kind of work that Creative Assembly put into Alien Isolation. Uh, this first-person shooter, you know, puts you in the role of Alex Murphy in this corrupt city of Detroit. There will be multiple choice dialogue options to help tell an original story based on the film franchise. While Tayon's previous works kind of have some you know bad reviews for them, this game still looks highly promising to me, and I'm going to be keeping an eye out for you know more details as it continues on. RoboCop: Rogue City is currently set for a release on all platforms, you know, current and last gen, along with PCs, uh, for June of next year. Lastly, we got a presentation for the long-awaited, if you ask me, Skull & Bones, a game that was originally inspired by Assassin's Creed Black Flag's popular ship combat. This game focuses around the player trying to become the best pirate out there and deals a lot with the maintenance, crew building, and ship morale of being a pirate. It honestly just looks like a more serious version of Sea of Thieves, especially with its multiplayer features. There were a ton of options based on, you know, crafting and customization that I found would make this game very replayable. But at the same time, you know, I have my reservations because it's a Ubisoft game. A lot of the time when I go into a Ubisoft game, I, you know, I think it looks really cool from the outside, and then I play it for a little while, I get bored, and I put it down, and I never go back to it. You know, just like how I started a playthrough for you guys for the last Watch Dogs game, and just never went back to it just because it was a boring experience for me. But on the other hand, this does look pretty interesting. Uh, it, I mean, it does look like every other Assassin's Creed game that's out there, but it looks like they've put a lot into this. I mean, it looks like it has every single bell and whistle that you would probably want out of a pirate simulator. So while I might be looking at this as more of a, you know, game pass list or, you know, demo experience, I'm definitely going to keep an eye on it as we get closer to release, which will be November 8th of this year. But let me know if this is a game that you're interested in playing. You know, sound off at Amazing Nerd Show on social media and also check out our gameplay streams on Twitch that we do every single week. I mean, right now we're going through both Horizon Games, Elden Ring, the Bioshock franchise with plans to actually start, you know, Cyberpunk again for our second run. And we, of course, brought back PCW, our WWE 2K22 Universe mode. So there's a ton going on with the Twitch channel right now and a lot for you to check out if you want to watch any of the replays as well so make sure to follow us and check us out live every single i think wednesday through sunday now but all right now on to wrestling i'm gonna get you again and i'm gonna make you bleed
1: and i'm gonna taste you yeah you want to taste my blood you want to get crazy with me let me show you how crazy i can get
0: do it conti come on yeah, Ty Kahn? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Ruby Sosa! No, 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 no! no, no. Yeah. Oh my God! Yes. Yes. No. Ty Kahn, no. you just slammed the car door on Watch Ruby yourself, Sosa? Watch
1: yourself Kingston. Oh this'll happen to you. <laughs>
0: All right, David, we had an OK week in wrestling. It wasn't the most spectacular, but it was still something worth watching on AEW. Yeah, I thought overall it was a pretty solid show, um, a bit of a
1: transitional show. But that only hmm. makes sense for where we're at right now, Um, you know, right after Blood and Guts and, you know, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. You know, they've got to do a bit of like setting the table.
0: I honestly forgot about most of the matches that were going to happen on today's show, so I was surprised when Scorpio Sky was coming out for the TNT Championship street fight that we started off this show with. So while I definitely didn't forget about the match, I was kind of surprised
1: that it opened up the card. Uh, Before the show tonight, I was kind of debating whether or not, you know, they would open up the show with, you know, Moxley versus Brody. Um, Instead, just thinking that even though I feel like it's sacrilege that, you know, Wardlow, you know, for the TNT title is probably the hotter match, and you know, most likely you're going to get the big title win, you know, at the end. So mm-hmm. I can see them wanting that to main event. Um, but they chose to open up the show, which is, I mean, it's a hot start, so it makes sense. I mean, I think either way, there there's nothing wrong with. But I'm, I mean, regardless, I'm happy that they, you know, finally pulled the trigger. They had Wardlow win the title. Hopefully, this will be a fresh start for the belts. Because um, it's definitely been kind of, I don't know, lost in limbo over the last mm-hmm. couple of months. And also, hopefully, they're able to recapture that momentum that Wardlow had um, before his match with MJF. Because ever since then, I don't know, he, he feels kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, But, I mean, tonight when he came out, the crowd was 100% behind him. He got a huge pop when when he won the title. Uh, the match overall, I thought, was well put together. Uh, I will say, I, I didn't think they gave him enough time celebrating mm-hmm. at the end. I mean, yeah, they shot off the confetti and everything, but like he was in the ring for maybe like five seconds before like he was walking up the ramp again. I was like, ah, you got to do a better job of like capturing those moments to make them feel big. Like, you know, that's a moment you linger on. You don't waste that moment because this is a moment that you want to make a lasting impression on the audience. Uh, Especially knowing where they want to go with Wardlow in the future. You know, I mean, overall, I feel like AEW needs to do a better job of really, like, cultivating their history. Like, I feel like that's something that they could learn from, you know, WWE with. And I know WWE tends to beat you over the head with it, you know, Mm -hmm. with all the replays and everything. And all the countdowns and telling you over and over again, like, why this moment is great. But I feel like, you know, lingering on those moments, you know, and emphasizing them more goes just a long way to really like, you know, embed them in your audience's like zeitgeist. Like it it, it matters, you know, because I feel like a lot of AEW's bigger moments are getting kind of like lost in the shuffle because there's so many of them. You know, and, and they don't have their own streaming service. So they're, they they don't have the, you know, convenience of having all these like multiple shows, like, you know, really like emphasizing the product. But I don't know, like you could at least do it here on, you know, Dynamite. Like there's nothing wrong with like at some point during your show Doing a replay from a bigger moment from last week just to remind the audience or to keep, you know, people caught up on what's
0: been going on with your show. Exactly. They need more than just Excalibur's, you know, explanation of what's going on in this story. A visual would be so much better.
1: Yes. Like, you know, and I would have been fine with if they like replayed like a moment of uh, Wardlow celebrating with the title in the second hour. Just to like Mm -hmm. remind us or have, you know, an interview with him backstage quickly, you know, tell us what's next, you know, for the new TNT champion, you know, something like that to just kind of remind audience, hey, this is a big fucking deal, you know, that he just won this belt because I felt like by the end of the show, it was all kind of forgotten. And that's really the last thing you want with a big moment like this.
0: The rest of the show really focuses around John Moxley and, you know, Brody King. You know, they do a bunch of these backstage moments like we got next with John Moxley, you know, talking about how he understands Brody King is this devastating being, but he's going in the ring with someone like John Moxley who enjoys violence for breakfast.
1: <laughs> um I mean, it was a great promo, mm-hmm. and I mean, I understand why they really had to hype up this match a lot during the show this week, and honestly, I, I, I love that they're doing that, because I feel like that's something they also lack in a lot of times, is hyping up their own main events. But I think this was more of a product of the fact of this only having a one-week build. Yes. You know, uh, but I'm I welcome this like do this throughout your show when you have a big main event, especially when your world titles on the line. This is something they should be doing on a regular basis. You know, you should have at least two or three segments throughout the show hyping up that main event when it's such a big one. You know, it's your first title defense for your new interim world champion. And I thought overall tonight they did a great job with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, not to even get ahead of myself, but the one that Malachi Black did, you know, really hyping up Brody King, I thought was fantastic later on in the show. Yeah, and they did, a, I believe, a
1: few highlights of how Brody actually won the, you know, whatever, Rampage yes. Rumble or whatever, which was, which was just an awesome visual <laughs> yes. of him hanging Darby <laughs> in that sleeper hold. That was uh-huh. that was amazing. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's like more of that. that. That I thought was great this week. You know, I have to give him credit where credit's due.
0: Uh, We also saw throughout the show, Mark Sterling, along with Tony Nese, trying to get some petitions uh, to get Swerve Strickland removed from the roster completely. Yeah, this
1: really didn't do much for me. And I felt like it went on way too long. I mean, there was multiple segments of the show dedicated to this. And while I do enjoy Mark Sterling, I thought it was a little too much, especially since I feel like it's just going to be setting up, you know, a rampage match. Which is that? What it did? Did do we yeah, have? It Nice versus uh, Strickland <laughs> on Friday. Uh,
0: no, it's going to be Nice versus uh, uh, Orange Cassidy because uh, of their interaction, so n- which felt very last second. So next week we'll probably get Nice first
1: yeah. swerve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. See, I I don't know. It just feels like you could have taken some of this time dedicated to these segments and gave it to Wardlow, right? You know, at least one of them. Give him another 10 seconds of the ring, you know, with the confetti flying. Come on.
0: (laughs) Up next to most of the announcers discussed, Christian Cage made an appearance with Luchasaurus. Uh, Pretty much again, bringing down just about everyone he could see in sight. He has so much heat right now.
1: Like the amount of booze he got when he walked Uh out, you know, wearing that stupid turtleneck again (laughs) (laughs) was pretty impressive. Um, You know, right away, he got an asshole chant going. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he made one Jeff Hardy comment. I was like, okay, you know, fine. It's cheap, but I get it. Um, But I thought he kind of harped on a little too much for my liking. You know, I mean, and I know this is going to sound awful, but like. With Jungle Boy's dad, you know, Christian said he's dead. And that's it. Like, he didn't go into, like, his character. He didn't pull a Randy Orton with a, you know, during his program with Rey Mysterio, where he told Rey Eddie Guerrero's rotting in hell or whatever. Uh Like Literally, like, the same year that Eddie passed away. You know, he just said he was dead. You know, I mean, it was great heat. It was, you know, a a wonderful heel moment. But this, where it... You're dealing with someone who's going through something, you know, in the moment feels a little gross to me, you know, I I don't know. Like, and I know probably Matt, you know, because Matt comes out here and confronts him and that's what gets him, you know, bringing up, you know, Jeff and everything. Um, And I know Matt probably got the okay from Jeff or, you know, let him know he was going to do it. But like anything that could affect Jeff getting better somehow you know, even though he's saying it's okay, like, do we know it's not going to affect him, that they're using it as part of a storyline? And, mm. I mean, God, I mean, WWE had him fucking, you know, doing a fucking drinking and driving angle at one point, right? Like, they tried to frame him for doing yeah. or something
0: crazy. And then they even went on to have him do a whole drunk thing with Sheamus yeah, for a while. That, I
1: think it was Sheamus who tried to frame him for uh, driving drunk. He hit someone with his car or something. It's horrible. I mean, it's horrible. And this is what, like, Jeff was clean at the at the, at the time. Uh-huh. But, I mean, regardless, like, it's a real-life issue going on with one of your, you know, employees. I don't think it's something to really, like, make light of, you know, during a wrestling angle. Especially if it could f- affect their recovery
0: at all. Yeah.
1: That's mm-hmm. my worry. So that's where I kind of bump up against it, I guess.
0: I mean, there's still elements of this promo that I think went well. Like, you know, bringing up that Matt Hardy, you know, was pretty much doing the exact same thing he did with uh, HFO. I thought that made sense. That's all fine. You know, Hmm. and I was
1: like, I was okay with like the initial comment, but just he went back to it like a couple more times after the fact. And that's where I was like, uh, I don't know. So I know I'm being a total hypocrite, but, (laughs) you know, it's just, I feel like that's, you know, when it could affect someone's personal well-being, I don't know. That's where it's, I I have to draw a line. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, Christian is massively over as a heel right now. I'm interested to see when Jungle Boy actually makes his return and confronts him and Luchasaurus. Um, But I'm guessing that we're going to probably have some kind of match between Luchasaurus and Matt Hardy, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in the next couple weeks, because Luchasaurus ends up taking out Matt Hardy in pretty decisive fashion, uh, putting through a table.
0: Before we got another backstage uh, moment, we also got a video package for Blood and Guts, uh, pretty much highlighting, you know, Kingston wanting kind of more after the uh, fight that they had.
1: So this right here is what I was talking about before. Like, give mm-hmm. me more packages like this. You know, Blood and Guts was a big event. You know, um, an awesome match. Put it over with your crowd. Like, remind them of how great it was. Um, and, you know, get people buzzing who might not have seen it, you know. Um, and that way they'll, you know, go back and watch it. So I thought this was a really good use of a video package in time on the, sh- on the show tonight. Like, do more of this. You know, like, next week I want to see that Wardlow package you know, remind us of those bigger moments in AEW. And to bring it back to Christian for a moment, um I think it was two weeks ago where he brought up the fact that, you know And I'm paraphrasing the AEW, they have tons of great matches, but how many of those matches are going to be remembered in 15 years? Like, you know, his big matches, you know, like what Mm -hmm. he did and like, you know, the TLC, Um, you know, I think doing things like this, highlighting them on your shows and showing these video packages will go a long way to make them bigger moments in you know the history of
0: AEW with your fans speaking of blood and guts we got a face-off between Claudio and Jake Hager in the back uh while Tony was interviewing them uh Claudio was bringing up how he's kind of undefeated right now uh saying that he's gonna go 3-0 and when he faces Jake Hager next week
1: I thought this was a good promo by Claudio uh he mentioned that Hager's been you know kind of you know Jericho's whipping boy Um, You know, you know, referencing him carrying his bags and stuff. I was just glad that, you know, Tony gave, you know, Claudio time on the microphone, you know, something that he got very little of over on, you know, WWE because he can handle himself, you know,
0: even though Vince didn't think so for some reason, especially when it's probably his own words. Now, as an up, up, down, down fan, I've definitely seen Claudio go on some rampages. Uh, up next, we had the match between Swerve and Our Glory. That's Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland going up against The Butcher and The Blade. While I tend to hate the will they
1: get along, you know, storyline that you know is such a WWE staple when it comes to tag teams I do feel like this is working because it's something that we don't see every week from AEW um, you know I love the chemistry between you know Lee and Swerve um, and I, I kind of hope that they get to go on a run as a tag team because they do work so well before they do eventually break up because that it, it, that just feels like that's gonna happen sooner than later but um, you know, uh, the Butcher was really over in this match. Did you notice that? Is I he from notice. that area? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been really enjoying him since he's come back from injury and everything. And I, I don't know. There, there seemed to be a little tension between him and the Blade. So I'm wondering if they're starting to tease, um, you know, maybe a, a face turn for the Butcher. I might be reading into things. Uh, but I don't know. I, I've been really enjoying his work. So I hope something comes of that. Um, because I feel like he's underutilized, that's for sure. I, and the Blade's talented, too, don't uh, get me wrong. But yeah, no, I, but back to Lee and uh, Swerve. Um, yeah, this is eventually going to end up being a match between the two, I'm sure, you know, maybe at All Out. And I also enjoyed after the match, we had a little back and forth between, you know, Swerve and the glo- Swerve in Your Glory, am I saying that right, Christian? And uh, Team Taz, Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks, they came out. Ricky was on fucking fire. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> It was a great promo, though. Uh, You know, and then all of a sudden they were interrupted by the Young Bucks, which was a big surprise. And then all of a sudden they were interrupted by the Young Bucks when, you know, I think Ricky said something about being the best tag team Mm -hmm. in the AEW. um, That cued the Bucks music. They came out. They made a challenge. I think they called it uh, Triple or Nothing or something. Yeah, let's go Triple or Nothing. Sure. OK, uh, during the Bucks um, promo, though, when they were talking about being the best tag team, you heard the audience chanting FTR. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> expecting them to come out. Yeah, no, it's it, that match is going to be on Fighter Fest, which is next week, which I didn't even know was still a thing, but I uh-huh. guess it is. You know, we need to have our specials, right? But it should be an exciting match. Uh, is it a ladder match or is it just just a, tr- a triple threat? I believe it's just a triple threat. They didn't say anything about a ladder or anything like that. Okay. I don't see any way the Bucks don't walk away still being the champions because I'm sure Mm -hmm. we're really just building up to an FTR Young Buck match at you know All Out um, in September. So and maybe with like all the titles on the line, I mean that that'd be pretty fucking huge.
0: I'm I'm I think this match is going to be fun, but I'm disappointed that it wasn't just. uh, Swerve and Lee versus the Young Bucks because I, I we just saw Starks um and Hobbs versus you know uh both of them already and in a t- and in a triple threat title match as well with Jurassic Express. I know they're we're just swapping out one team, but it, I don't know. I was hoping for something a little different in this. No, matchup. I I get it. I just really like Starks and Hobbs, uh-huh. so
1: I'm all for them. You know, getting more TV time. But I understand wanting to change things up and just have a one-on-one match. And I enjoy one-on-one matches, you know, when it comes down to it more than, you know, all these like triple threat multi-tag team matches. But I guess it's just a way to carry on the program between, you know, Team Taz and, you know, Swerving in our glory, um, which doesn't really roll off the tongue. We got to come no, up with a better name, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure they're not going to be together for very much longer, so it doesn't really matter. Could you possibly see swerve you know stabbing keith lee in the back and joining up with starks and powerhouse or do you think (sighs) that's going to take place you know after the match and that's just going to be a one-on-one thing between lee
0: and swerve i'm hoping for a one-on-one thing i think swerve wouldn't fit too well with team taz like i i feel like starks and swerve you know their personalities would clash way too much in a team like that, which I mean, maybe that just leads to the end of Team Taz. But if I would, if for anything, I would want Keith Lee to join <laughs> uh, Team Taz if I was going to have it that way.
1: Yeah, I don't see them turning no. Lee heel anytime soon. And uh-huh. swerve when it comes to him being a heel. I feel like he's probably going to be more of the loner type, since that's kind of the gimmick going on right now, where you can't trust him, right? Exactly. So, which I, I don't know. I'm I'm enjoying it, and I I think he's doing a really good job with it. So, um, but yeah, man, him and Lee have such great chemistry. It is a shame to see them, you know, probably breaking up, you know. You know, sometime soon.
0: Uh, As we mentioned before, they were doing promos about the title match going forward. And we had a House of Black promo where Malachi was pretty much hyping up uh, Brody. I know we talked about it before, but I thought this
1: was a really well done promo. And I thought they did a great job of really putting over Brody here. And I'm glad Mm. there wasn't like a hint of jealousy between uh, Malachi and Brody. Because I was worried about that being a thing, since, you know, it it feels like Malachi is kind of the de facto leader of the group, Um, but they weren't going to harp on that at all.
0: Up next, Shivani interviewed Kingston in the ring. Uh, Kingston went on about, you know, blood and guts and all that stuff and, you know, talking about how he wants to still make Jericho bleed. Kingston, once again, is just a massive babyface um i did enjoy
1: that he mentioned wardlow's title win like congratulated yes. him mm-hmm. and i'm wondering if he did that on his own to give like wardlow a few more moments in the sun since i did feel like he got kind of cut short or if that's you know an edict sent out by tony khan just to mention it um uh, but I-, I thought that was a-, a great callback by kingston and everything like that um Just fantastic on the mic. I mean, what what more is there to say, really? And I, I mean, we kind of figured that, you know, this wasn't the end of the feud between, you know, Jericho Appreciation Society and, you know, Kingston and, you know, the gang, really. And as his interview ends, we saw that was definitely, you know, the case.
0: Yes, we get an interruption from Jericho as Ty Conti slams a car door right onto Ruby Soho's hand. And she, of course, sells that shit like it was the biggest break of her life.
1: (laughs) Well, it would be rather painful to have that happen to you. I thought this was fucking old school horseman shit right here. you know, it's really smart what they're doing with Ruby, you know, bringing her into the storyline. It's a good element for them to play off of and have Kingston to play off of, you know, having her, you know, be part of the match last week and everything. Hopefully this is going to lead to a program between her and Ty, and I'm sure that's going to be the case. Because God knows we need more than just one women's match a week on Dynamite. You know, for some reason, it felt like we were getting better, you know, and I don't know if it was just mm-hmm. because the Owen Cup um, but now we're back to that formula. Like, you know, we always get one women's match and one women's segment in the second hour around like maybe like, you know, 110, you know, 120, it okay. seems like. Got um, down to a science. It, 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 seriously, it, watch. Next week will be the same fucking thing. I guarantee it. But, I mean, you've got a bigger women's roster now. How do you expect any of these women to get over if they're only featured in one Mm -hmm. match every fucking week? I mean, yeah, they get a match on Rampage, but that's not enough. I mean, like I get it in the very beginning where your women's roster was much smaller, you know, but now when you have so many talented women wrestlers signed, you should be guaranteed at least two to three matches a week Mm -hmm. at Dynamite. You know, I mean, there's no reason not to. Like, once again, you had Mark Sterling in multiple segments throughout the show, right? You know, putting over this angle, you know, leading up to some Rampage match in a couple weeks. Like, you could have, like, cut that in half and give us another women's match. So, it's a little silly. So, hopefully, you know, this is a step in that direction, having Ruby, you know, feuding with Ty, but we'll see. I'm curious to see how long they stretch out this feud between Kingston and Jericho, Like, does this go all the way to all out or is this going to be blown off on like a TV special? You know, and like, what kind of match do we get? Like, especially after like blood and guts, like what can Mm. they do? Because really, what can they do to top that? You know, I mean, it feels like anything less than is going to feel anticlimactic. First
0: to light the other on fire match. You could do a fire match,
1: you know, Mm. I mean, WWE was able to pull that off, you know, Um, so I wouldn't put it past them, honestly, you know, because that's you remember last week I was saying that's kind of how I expected the blood and guts match to end with some kind of fireball or something like that. So maybe you do, you know, a burning rope match or what was it, an inferno match by Kane? <laughs> you had an inferno match, but there has been like some crazy Japanese death matches where you have uh- the ropes on fire, but there's no way. Their insurance would allow them to do that unless it's like a cinematic match or something like that. Uh-huh. So uh, maybe a flaming tables match. You could do that, you know, or just have the match and, you know, have a street fight and have it end with a flaming table. Um, I am expecting something along those lines, um, because like I said, I think it'd just be so anticlimactic for this feud to end in just, you know, a regular wrestling match.
0: Yes. After the commercial break, we got a Dark Order promo featuring Negative One giving his very first lines on the mic in front of everybody. Uh, We had QT Marshall coming out for some reason, insulting Negative One and trying to invoke a fight with a 10-year-old. I don't know why, but that's that was his goal here. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Hangman came out for the save and beat the hell out of him.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was a fine moment with them being in like Brodie Lee's hometown and everything. So um, I do feel like they need to find a storyline for Dark Order. Like if they're going to continue to be a group at this point. And for them to make sense for, you know, with them sticking together. I mean, they've lost a couple members at this point. Uh, Alex and Stu are both gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess uh, they couldn't come to terms with Stu. And then Alex, they just kind of let his contract run out. And they I guess Alex didn't want to renegotiate, um, which I, I got. You know, I think they were trying to offer him a like a uh, per show um, contract. Oh, okay. So, um You know, I mean, AEW is at the point now where a lot of those like first contracts are starting to come up. And, you know, it it makes sense for some people not to get re signed. You know, they have such a big bloated roster. A lot of people are trying to compare them not re signing, you know, people to like WWE cutting people, which I think is ridiculous because it's completely different things. Oh, yeah. Like (laughs) you're firing someone before their, you know, their agreed upon contract is up. You know, that's completely Mm -hmm. different than, you know, letting someone's contracts run out, you know, because, you know, once your contracts run out, you're not guaranteed anything. But when you're under contract, you're guaranteed a salary to a certain point. So getting fired is a lot different than, you know, having your contract expired. So um, but I don't know. I mean, I I just don't know where you go with the dark order at this point. You know, I mean. They're kind of like, you know, Hangman Page's buddies, I guess.
0: Yeah. Estranged buddies. It doesn't. But
1: They don't want them to like join. the. They don't want him to join the team. So Mm -hmm. I feel like that's limited storyline wise. So, I mean, do you eventually see the Dark Order like go heal? Like, or do you have like a new leader, you know, join up? Like, I mean, I, I just don't know what the end game is for the group. You know, at this point,
0: because I mean, beyond, you know, a couple of matches here and there for a couple of the members, they don't do anything. I don't know who they'd go up against, because like maybe maybe a weird feud with the House of Black could be interesting, but I I just don't know where they go with this team at all. Yeah, they just don't have that featured star yeah. on the
1: team, you know, like Colt's not around right now, and I don't feel like he was like the leader no you know evil Uno's fine but he's definitely not like i don't know he's not the leader of the team anymore it doesn't feel like i know he was in the beginning so i just i don't know i feel like they need some new blood in the group at least um you know for them to like stay relevant
0: up next we had roosh defeating penta oscuro which I'm still waiting for him to go back to L0. Just, I'm I'm over this gimmick at this point. I it just, doesn't work. I just call him Penta. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> Roosh looked absolutely awesome, though, in the match. I definitely enjoyed seeing uh, the two of them go at it. Yeah, I mean, if that was a good match, I'm really
1: just sick of this finish, though. I mean, we've just oh, seen oof, it multiple yeah. times now so I, I don't know it's like it, it's just too much. Do you feel like this is going to end up with AEW like honoring the Lucha rule where you know you're uh, if you take off a Luchador's mask in the middle of a match it ends up in a DQ right away?
0: I can see that potentially happening just mostly because they keep bringing it up too on commentary like this is not you know this isn't illegal here but it is in Mexico they keep bringing that up every single time they have one of these matches.
1: You know I think my problem is like Rey Mysterio figured out this like issue in WCW back in like 1997 he just started wearing like multiple masks (laughs) (laughs) so it's just like come on Penta like this has happened to you like four times now Uh in the last six months like get it together like fucking tie that thing on like you know tight what the fuck i mean tie that thing on tighter goddammit. it what the hell
0: next we got an announcement before ring of honor's death before dishonor as we found out that samoa joe will be good to go versus Jay lethal for the ring of honor television championship
1: we do know that samoa joe is not actually injured he's off filming a tv show right now mm-hmm. i don't know if that's twisted metal or something else um should be a good match uh, they did a lot of hyping of the ROH pay-per-view on this show, so I'm guessing they must have got the green light from uh, TBS to do so, which might mean maybe there's a deal in the process. And this is me speculating, but maybe there's a deal in the process with ROH possibly getting their own like show on you know TBS or TNT at some point, um, because God knows they need it. I- I'm just, I don't know. I understand like he bought the company just a couple of months ago and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But it I, I feel like the oversaturation of ROH on AEW TV has been a hindrance um and detrimental to AEW as a product. You know, just having so many different titles featured and everything like that. I just feel like it's watering down your own titles. I just want to see a separation at this point. You know, and I know, you know, even when they do get their own show, eventually, hopefully, knock on wood, we'll still see some crossover happening. But, you know, right now, it, it just feels like too much. And I don't know if it's just because we went through Forbidden Door. You know, it's just like, I, I'm sick of these angles. Like, I feel like this promo with, you know, Dut and, you know, Jay Lethal has been cut like I don't know, a thousand times at this point. Yes. Like literally the same fucking promo backstage for the last like three months. I mean, really, since the Owen Cup of Double or Nothing, right? Like we've seen this like promo like every fucking week. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just hope this isn't a case of Tony stretching himself too thin because that's what it feels like right now.
0: But I can totally picture like, you know, an hour long Rampage like show for Ring of Honor, maybe on Mondays or something you know, after sure, all.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, they're not going to go up
0: against raw. Cause you no, know, that's going
1: to get Vince all crazy again. Um, <laughs> You know, even if it's like, it, yeah, maybe after all, maybe, or, you know, who knows? You know, maybe after Dynamite or whenever, you know, just as long as it's not being featured so much on Dynamite. Because like I said, mm. I, I do feel like it's hurting the product. I feel like it's hurting AEW.
0: Uh, as we continued on the show, uh, Nice again showed up trying to get more signatures. This is when we got official match between Nice and Orange Cassidy, as apparently Dan is Orange Cassidy's lawyer. Sure. <laughs>
1: I love me some Danhausen so uh-huh. you know whatever.
0: <laughs> it
1: is what it is uh but yeah no. I mean Nice versus Cassidy will be a great match but Rampage is definitely feeling like the secondary show. Mm-hmm. Um this card this week really is lackluster and I don't know if Tony's just got the edict that you know we're happy with the rating. You know me I love me some Danhausen but I mean, all this, you know, to set up a Rampage match just felt a bit much. I mean, Cassidy versus Nice, it'll be a good match, but I don't know. Like, just Rampage has dropped, like, so far down the totem pole over the last mm-hmm. couple of months when it comes to, like, you know, much, you know, must-see wrestling for me, um, which is unfortunate. Um, it, it feels like you've got the stable to put together, like, a good show, but half the like rampages it feels like now are just like okay well I'll DVR and watch it later like n- none of them feel must see anymore um where that wasn't the case the first like you know 3 or 4 months um I, and I don't understand why that is you know I, maybe like you know tony's trying to save all his bullets for dynamite um and he knows that you know TBS isn't so worried about rampages ratings at this point but with the ratings being so awful um over the last couple weeks i I just i kind of assumed that they would start like booking bigger shows on fridays but that hasn't been the case at all and i feel like and we don't have the card in front of us do we but i feel like this card this friday is another example of that
0: uh on rampage it's gonna be kingston versus uh takashita uh, we have D versus Mar- uh, Martinez, um, and then Gresham versus, oh, Gresham and Moriarty versus Gates of Agony. Uh, ROH. And then, it was an ROH match. Okay, okay. Orange Cassidy versus Tony Nese, uh so far as the biggest match. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Kingston versus uh, Tashida, Tush- I think is how you say it.
1: Tush- I-, I can never pronounce it. If I look at the name, I cannot pronounce it. So I think it's Tashida. Um, okay. that's going to be a great fucking match but you know once again like there's no storyline there you know it just feels mm. like a match to be a match which is fine and there's nothing wrong with Rampage just being a good wrestling show but I, I just feel like it could be so much more you know you have this extra hour like do something with it like play off some of these storylines but maybe that's just me.
0: Up next we had the Acclaimed and the Gun Club going in an eight man tag against Ruffinit It. Uh, which is Bear Boulder, Bear Bronson, and Leon Ruff, along with Fuego del Sol. So great um, name. Cla- <laughs> Ruffin, it? Yeah, it, it's a good name. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks like they acclaimed our
1: baby faces now, huh? I so guess so. During, during this match, we had uh, the Gun Club basically turn on the acclaimed. uh they weren't cooperating at all during the match they stole the pin from x caster Mm -hmm. uh you know they had a back and forth after the you know they got the pin uh billy kind of got between them and then he ended up turning uh on the acclaimed inciting with his boys so i think we kind of saw that coming but yeah so it looks like we're gonna have a feud between the acclaimed and the gun club so uh i'm all for it it should be fun um i'm interested to see how a babyface acclaim works uh but i mean there's no denying that they're massively over right now with the crowd so um i don't know christian scissor me daddy <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs>
0: Up next, we had a video promo from Miro, uh, pretty much calling out Malachi Black, who had not said anything about him previously during the show.
1: <coughs> well, right, this all stems from their All-Atlantic title match, right? Mm-hmm. Is that the name of the title? The yeah, the All-Atlantic oh, okay. title, yeah. Sure. And not a mention of that belt, right? On this week's episode? No. Nothing from Pack or anything? Nothing. Okay fine but we have like three fucking promos for roh but okay whatever tony um i don't know this is, this is a feud i'm definitely invested in it should be fun right you're gonna have a lot of no, great fucking back and forth promos so um yeah bring it who who the fuck's the baby face in this <laughs> i guess Miro. but
0: even even so like, he, I, like
1: chasing after god
0: yeah. Like, Miro, Miro's like feuding with God right now. <laughs> and he's the baby face, huh? I guess. Okay, I, whatever. It, I can't say Malachi Black is the baby face no, in the storyline. that doesn't like make this. any sense either. No, so. But whatever, I'm fine with it. It should be fun. All right, well, uh, we had the team-up of Thunderstorm, which is Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, defeating Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir. So don't get me wrong. Like, I think
1: Marina Shafir has a lot of potential, Mm -hmm. but I don't know why she keeps on getting featured so heavily on Dynamite. Like, there's so many other wrestlers, like, in the women's division now. Like, I would love to see some of them out
0: there. Uh, no, I agree. I, I don't understand why they keep bringing her back every single week. I mean, it's good to give someone experience, I guess. But that's what isn't that what dark is for? And elevation rampage nowadays, <laughs> rampage, right?
1: Uh, I just feel like she's still pretty green. Um, hmm. So to feature this heavily might be. A detriment to her i'm glad that nyla's out there but have
0: her team up with someone else like where's brit uh i'm not sure i mean she has been featured for a good portion of the year was she last was she on the show last week i don't think she was on the show i don't last remember week. her is she I injured don't think she's i don't think she's injured i haven't heard anything but yeah it's weird like it's two weeks in a row outside of like social media i haven't seen anything from brit baker i mean have nyla team with jamie hater
1: like, just because Britt's not on the show doesn't mean you can't have Jamie Heater on the show. Mm-hmm. That'd be a fun tag team.
0: It'd be fun to have uh, Marina Shafir be, like, a heavy for Ty Conti. And, like, they could play up the whole, you know, you know Ronda Rousey type of aspect of having an MMA person a part of their entertainment group. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do feel like she has potential. Mm-hmm. I feel like down the line, she
1: she has a big future. But I just... I don't know, like... Having her on the card week in and week out, I don't know, like like Serena Deeb could have been with Myla, and I know she's and she's ending up on Rampage, but I, I just I don't know. Once again, this wouldn't be a problem. I wouldn't have an issue with this if there was more women matches on Dynamite in general. So. That's all I'll say about that. (laughs) I'm not going to go on another rant.
0: We had a backstage moment for Daniel Garcia as he called out Wheeler Yuta. You know, this is another kind of thing for death before dishonor as he's going after Yuta's title. I think that's the pure championship, correct? Yeah, that's the pure title. It's going to be a hell of a match, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm probably
1: not getting the pay-per-view. I won't lie, (laughs) so... (laughs) I wish it was taking place on Dynamite and not for an ROH title, but
0: it is what it is. Mm-hmm. We had a backstage moment for Jade Cardgill after we got a new baddie announced for the group with Layla Gray, the person that she had a match with the previous week. Well, she's an apprentice. Apprentice baddie. She's not Sorry. an official baddie or an interim baddie, I
1: think is what they said. Something along those lines. She's not an official baddie. Gotcha. I'm just waiting for so, my application to be, you know, accepted. Oh, you're total baddie material, exactly. Christian. Exactly. They wouldn't even allow you in the Dark Order, Christian.
0: <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, essentially, Jade Cargill is pretty much going to let this be a test run. If she doesn't like it, she might even fire um, Hathaway. So we'll see what happens. Can we, can we just get a feud for Jade? Like,
1: I don't need this. <sighs> I know I just said I'm not going to rant about the women's division again, but <laughs> this is definitely testing me. I just feel like there shouldn't be a moment where Jade's not in a feud. Especially when she's holding that TBS title. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just me.
0: We had another backstage moment for Death Before Dishonor as FTR pretty much announced that they'll have their title on the line against the Briscoes.
1: It's going to be a great match. And, you know, maybe I'm going to eat my words and not watch the (laughs) pay-per-view. I forgot about this. Uh, But just a lot of ROH shit on the show tonight. Mm. It really feels like they're hyping this up as much as they hyped up
0: Forbidden Door. I mean, they want to get eyes on it, right? I I can't imagine anyone outside of AEW knowing that there's going to be a Ring of Honor pay-per-view. I get
1: it, but I just feel like it's going to be a struggle until they finally get a TV deal. It's just hard for, you know, an audience to invest in a product that has no TV, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's me included. So, um, you know, once they get, you know, something on, you know, network TV or, you know, cable TV, wherever, even a streaming deal. um, I I feel like you'll see more people, you know, getting into and invested in, you know, these storylines and angles, but like shoving it down our throats like this. And I get it. You have a pay-per-view coming up. I just feel like there's going to be a backlash eventually, and it could end up hurting the start of this new venture for Tony. Uh, but County. anyway,
0: the rest of the show was the interim AEW World Championship match between John Moxley and Brody King, even going over three minutes past the hour. Hey,
1: I mean, look at that—they got an overrun. Maybe that's a sign of things to come between AEW and you know Warner, Warner Discovery, whatever the hell they're going by now. Um, But yeah, I thought overall this was a solid match. Um, They did their best to follow up Blood and Guts, Mm -hmm. um, which is obviously hard to do, but this was really hard hitting. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was expecting something along the lines of what we got between uh, Moxley and Lance Archer. But that was, I believe, like a Texas death match or something like that. So this was just a straight up match. But I like the build they had throughout the show making this feel important, making it feel like a legit main event and making Brody King feel like a legitimate contender for this belt. Now at any point did I feel like Brody could possibly walk away with this title that Moxley just fucking won? Mm-hmm. No, but it did help me being invested in this match um, in the long run. So, and I did feel like it was a good showcase for Brody to see him out there standing on his own, Um, Because I do think it's natural for him to get kind of overshadowed by Malachi in the House of Black. But I thought he really rose to the occasion here and really like was able to show the AEW audience what he's really about.
0: No, I feel like if this had been further into a Moxley run... Maybe there would have been more of a chance to believe that Brody could have possibly. I mean, up till the end of this match, Brody was looking like he could beat the hell out of you know Moxley here and actually win. Now, I knew, you know, I was just waiting for the moment where Moxley turns and finally gets the victory. But, you know, he had him on the back foot for a good third of the match. You know, he had like it looked like there was a chance that he could win if you didn't know what was going on with the show. Like if you were just tuning in for the first time that night.
1: No, I agree, and maybe I'm just looking through the lens of you know a grizzled old wrestling fan, um, just knowing that you know Moxley just won that title, so uh, there's no question at the end of the day what the results of the match is going to actually be. Um, you know, especially in AEW where you know they tend to have these extended title reigns, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I enjoy. I'm glad that you know we don't get a lot of these like you know transitional champions, if you will. Um, Like we do on the other channel. But at the end of the day, it does kind of hurt that suspension of disbelief when it comes to the first, like, you know, couple of title defenses a new champion has. Because a lot of times, like, well, he just won the belt. There's no way he's going to, you know, end up losing it. And maybe at some point they throw us a curveball and that does happen, uh, which, you know, will make it that much more exciting. And that's why you have these extended title reigns, you know, for those moments. So um but yeah no all in all a great match and a solid dynamite i feel like
0: I'm going to be completely shocked the day Nyla Rose wins beating a person off their first title defense, because that's that's almost every women's match. Yes, she does feel like the gateway Uh right, for a new
1: champion. Like they they face Nyla first. Uh and She's a former champion, so I get it. But at the same time, I love Nyla, too. Like I've been watching a lot of interviews with her and I feel like she has a great like baby face run in her. So okay. I, I I do hope eventually they let her go and turn babyface because I feel like she can get over big time. Like she's hilarious and she's great on the mic. And I don't feel like they give her enough time. I know I'm just going on a rant for for Nyla right now for no reason, but I, I do feel like you know I just feel like there's a huge babyface run in her future at some point because she is great on the mic. Um, you know, I, you know, and I think. They don't focus on her that much, so a lot of her little one-liners kind of get lost, but I feel like eventually, you know, she's going to start getting over if they give her the opportunity. I get it. She's bigger than the other female wrestlers, so it's hard, you know, for her to appear as sympathetic, but there's a way to do it where I think it could possibly work. But anyway, I don't know if you could tell. I'm definitely frustrated with AEW's women's division right now, (laughs) so... (laughs) I don't know I'll shake it off
0: (laughs) I always do (laughs) well before we head out just a reminder uh, next week will be Claudio versus Jake Hager and we'll have the AEW World Tag Team Championships on the line between the Young Bucks Swerve in Our Glory and Team Taz with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs Should be a good show. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a
1: friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe,
0: rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked
1: about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full
0: articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing nerd show
1: merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States.
0: Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, we'll have a film review for Thor Love and Thunder,
1: and we'll also be breaking down the season finale for Miss Marvel.
0: Plus, we're talking night one of Fighter Fest. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. way. Oh.